Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, big hello to everybody who's logged on to our live stream. If you've logged on and you're wondering why I'm staring uh, like it looks like I'm at a photo album and I'm just flipping through the pages, it's because this was our home church for so many years. My wife, when her and her family immigrated from Mauritius in 1996, this was the church that they based themselves in. And they stayed that whole time. Krista ended up uh, on staff in the state office and Pastor Alan and Pastor Joan were running the ACC in Victoria, uh, helping with some state stuff. And then um, obviously we got married. And so one thing led to another and I ended up on team here. And um, some of you will know this story. If you knew, you will not know this story. Pastor Matt and Pastor Franca were heroes of mine even before they were here, when they were back in Adelaide. I took a week off work when I was living in Gippsland, and I traveled all the way over to Adelaide to spend a week learning from them. But I actually, which is funny if anyone knows me, because I'm pretty courageous, I actually didn't even have the guts to call them to ask for a meeting with them. So I just booked meetings with every single one of their team instead, which is just way weirder. But, you know, that just describes me. Anyone who knows me is like, yeah, that's Phil. Um, anyone that's not like, he's like, yes, that's guys that we got. Um, so um, I booked meetings and I, I just got to learn from their team and I thought it was so incredible. So the day that I got asked to go on staff here was just ridiculous. Like pinch yourself to see if you're not dreaming kind of a moment. And so I served here for eight years and uh, yeah, I've actually never said this, but I'm just going to say in front of 400 people because that's just way, way less awkward, right? And on a live stream, so it's famous and I can never deny these words. Um, I knew that it would be an honor and a privilege to serve Pastor Matt and Pastor Franca, but what I didn't realize was going to happen is they would become like a spiritual mother and a spiritual father for Krista and I. I love these guys with all my heart and soul. And some of you have probably wondered, well, what happened when you left Faith? Well, I've still kept in contact. I still call Pastor Matt when I'm struggling and I don't know what to do. There have been times where I've been in Melbourne where I'm like, I need to do lunch, I need to figure this stuff out, I've got too much stuff in my head. And uh, they've always been incredibly gracious. He still takes my phone call. He might sigh when he sees my number pop up. (laughs) But because he's a real man of God, he asks himself, what would Jesus do? (laughs) Hey! (laughs) About 18 months ago, well, Krista and I felt like God was calling us on a new adventure. We had offers to go all over the place, all over the world, all these great churches, and we just didn't feel a peace about any of it. And then there was a church over on the border, New Life Chapel, and we knew they were struggling, and we really felt like God said, that's actually where I want you to go. Little did we realize, even though we knew nobody up there, we had no friends or family, we were 380 kilometers away from home, that was actually the church that Pastor Alan and Pastor Joan were associate pastors of before they came here. So we moved up, and there we are. God's been doing some great things. But I have had to change my style of ministry. I mean, here I'd have conversations with people about met trains, and then someone smellies on one side, and then you smell like BO, and then someone drools on your shoulder on the other side. So you switch to driving, right? But you're on the Monash parking lot, and it takes you two hours to get anywhere, and you get a whole lot of road rage. And those are some real issues. They actually don't have those problems in the country, believe it or not. They do do a uh, radio broadcast to give you traffic alerts. And I'm not joking, it goes something like this. There's a big hold up on Main Street, so if it takes you four minutes to get to work, you better allocate another two or three minutes. It might take you as much as seven. Be aware if your boss is like that with time. (laughs) Man, it takes me like, it used to take me seven minutes to buy milk. Uh, So we don't know about that stuff. 
But what we do have to learn is a totally different kind of pastoral care. You have to learn what it's like to stand in a field that's basically dirt because of the drought. And you're next to a farmer whose livelihood depends on God intervening for rain. And you put your arm around him when he's crying and you pray together for God to make it rain. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to see bushfires on the news, but know that it's not just somewhere out there. It's approaching a town where people in your church are. And when you're praying for divine intervention, it gets very real because they're people you know about. But regardless of where it's over there and you're, you're praying for farming stuff or over here and you're praying for traffic, we are still praying. We serve the same God. Amen. Amen. And we still need his intervention. Amen. Amen. Everywhere you go, you realize people need Jesus. He's the same answer, even though it's a different question. And so tonight as a family, we're united under that banner. I didn't drive 380 kilometers to preach a message that I drove 380 kilometers because I wanted to encounter God with my family. So I'm going to pray right now for the presence of God to fall. If you want God to speak to you tonight, I want you just to raise your hand. Come on, let's stir things up. Let's not just play church. Let's go for real, huh? Jesus, we just come before you right now. God, I pray that you would stir something up in the atmosphere. We surrender this atmosphere tonight to you, Lord God, and we pray that you would breathe upon us, Lord God. Even for everybody logged into the live stream right now, I pray for the atmosphere to shift in their cars, in their homes, on a train, wherever they're listening to it right now. God, we pray for divine encounters, divine intervention into situations, Lord God. Do something that you've never done before in our lives. In Jesus' name and everybody said amen Amen. hallelujah if you got a bible the book of matthew chapter 25 verses 14 to 30 matthew 25 14 to 30 it's probably one of the most famous parts of scripture in your bible it might say something like the parable of the talents the parable of the talents and if you're here and you're a bible buff you're getting very excited you're like yes And if you're next to someone that's like that, you've probably watched them fidget in their seat. They might have even clapped a little bit, let out an excited sigh, the parable of talents. If you're not a Bible buff, though, you might be wondering why it's worth getting excited about. Let me tell you, this is hot stuff, this Bible verse. There's two reasons. Let me fill you in. The first one is it's talking about talents. When we think of the word talent, we tend to think of skills and abilities like juggling or playing a trumpet or whatever, but that's actually not what it is at all. It is a unit of measurement for money. A talent was a 36 kilogram block of silver. It cost about 6,000 dinars, and a dinar was a day's wages if you worked a good job. Now, for all the accounts in the room that have got your calculator out, let me save you the trouble. If you worked five days a week, 52 weeks a year, never took a day off, never had any annual leave, never had any sick leave or a mental health day or any other kind of day, and you worked your guts out, if you slept under a tree, if you didn't buy any food and you dumpster dived for for all of those years, right? If you figured out how to dodge the tax man, which accountants are like, I really want to meet this guy. This sounds sounds very frugal. Uh, If you were to do all of those things and save every single penny that you earned, assuming you had a good job, it would take it over 25 years to raise that money. But seeing as most people don't live under trees and dumpster dive and dodge the tax man, 
it really meant that if you were lucky, if you were in a really good job and were incredibly frugal, you might have enough by the time you die to buy one talent. But this is not the story of the talent. It's the parable of the talents, plural. That's the other thing. It's a parable. Now, people say, well, parables, Pastor Phil, they're just stories. And that's a bit like saying Richard Branson or Bill Gates is just having a crack at business. <laughs> they're just giving it their best shot when their businesses generate more money than some countries. Now, a parable is so much more than a story. A story is what that guy bails you up with after the service who's got bad breath and it just goes on forever and has a couple of good points. Anyone know someone like that? If your hand's not raised, you're one of those people. Um, newsflash. Um, so that's not what it's like at all. A parable, yes, is a story, but it's a story that's like a diamond, and you can look at it from multiple angles. And every time you shift the angle of a parable, you see something different, something unique. Now, the other thing about parables is they were supposed to be entertaining. Parable tellers was a form of entertainment which I find fascinating because there are so many Christians out there and they're doing church and it's really boring and they think that by making it boring, they're making Jesus happy. But that's so ironic because Jesus was incredibly entertaining and he would weave all of these different genres into his parables. He would do action and romance. He would do drama and mystery, political angles and, and all kinds of stuff. In fact, Jesus was particularly adept at fusing different genres together. Oh, and I'll tell you another thing about Jesus and his parables. He was the king of the plot twist. You know those plot twists that are so shocking that you need somebody else in the room to make sure that, you know, they saw it too? Like you're watching a soap opera and you're like, oh my gosh, she's a twin. Who would have thought he married the wrong twin? Oh my gosh, plot twist. <laughs> For those who are watching Bold and the Beautiful. <laughs> if you laugh too hard, that's you. Uh, so, or even those spy dramas where you're like, he double quitted or triple crossed him. That was what Jesus did. He told parables with crazy plot twists. And see, a parable was supposed to have a very deep moral truth. And again, like a diamond, every time you twisted it, it revealed a new kind of truth. So deep and so intricate was the truth in Jesus' parables that sometimes people didn't even know what they meant. And I'm not talking about the guy that was like half tank that just rolled in because his mate invited him. I mean, I'm talking about lawyers and religious scholars. Even his own disciples would sometimes say, what does this mean? And then I love Jesus because he's so cheeky, right? Sometimes, yeah, he would answer the question, but sometimes he would then say to them, what do you think it means? And we read that and we're like, isn't that nice? Jesus is engaging the crowd. But how awkward would it be if I was like, oh yeah, there's the parable of the talents. What do you think it means, Rochelle? And I was to come over and stick a microphone in front of you in front of the whole church. That'd be like, heaps awkward. Do you don't want me to do that, do you? No, she's shaking her head, right? So, so when Jesus did that, it was like, ooh. And then other times, he's so funny. I love Jesus. What he would do is he would just answer their question with another parable. <laughs> Jesus is incredible. So this is the parable of the talents. Not just any sermon, not just any quote, a parable and just like in Jesus' day where people would gather from all different religions, from all different parts of society, from all different races to hear the great parable teacher, we are gathered tonight to hear one of the great parables. Now, if you're new to church, you're probably thinking, well, I don't want to be sitting there wondering what on earth is going on. 
you know, when you watch a confusing movie, you need to watch it with somebody else. Hello. So you can hit pause and say, did you know what just happened? Anyone know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then they can explain it to you. So what we'll do is we'll go through it slowly so that you understand the parable of talents. Are you with me? If you're with me, say amen. Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. And this is Jesus telling the tale. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately, everyone say immediately, he went on a journey. Pause. So recently I was reading this, and I said, I prayed, and I said, Jesus, you're the author of this parable. Show me something that I haven't seen before. So I started to read it, and I got to this bit, and Jesus said, pause. I said, okay. He goes, do you see what just happened? And I said, nope. He goes, who is the central character in this parable? And I paused, and I said, the master? He goes, no. The servants. He goes, no, wrong again. So I paused, and then he said, what is it called? I said, oh, the parable of the talents? It's about the talents? And Jesus said, read it again. So I read it through a few times, and I started to realize something. The penny dropped. It was like Jesus just twisted the diamond, and a brand new light reflected off it. This is all about the talents. And we are the talent. We are the thing of great price. We are the priceless, weighty silver that you could spend your whole life and never be able to afford. We are the thing that he treasures that only he could afford. We are the thing that everybody else wants. The parable of the talents is not a parable about silver. It's a parable about us. It's a parable about you. Jesus is not saying, let's gather for the parable of the talents. He's saying, let's gather for the parable of the Renee. He's not saying, let's gather for the parable of the talents. He's saying, let's gather for the parable of the Terry. Let's gather for the parable of Nathan. Let's gather for the parable of Alex, of Rob, of Natalie. This is all about you. You are the central character of this story. He wrote this parable about you. And that's when I realized why Jesus stopped me at this part of the story. If you're taking notes, first point, allow the master to repurpose you. Allow the master to repurpose you. If you stay the way you are, you will always stay in the place that you are. Think about it. Here you have in the treasury room a whole bunch of talents, gathering interest or, you know, the master's using them to accumulate wealth or whatever. And he takes them out and he gives them to somebody as a seed investment for their business. Like, has anybody seen that show Shark Tank? I'm not saying I advocate for that show, that it's a Christian show. Please save your emails. Email all problems to rroberts at facecc.com.au. The purpose of the talent changed. It went from sitting in a treasury room gathering interest to being the seed investment in somebody else's business idea. 
And what happens is we say to God, well, God, this is my dream. This is what I, when I want to end up. This is where I want to go. This is what I want to do, but I don't want to change. I don't want to become different. I don't want to step outside my comfort zone. And God says it doesn't work like that. If you want to go somewhere different, you have to become something different. And this is where I understand the brilliance of making it about talents. Because a talent was a lump of silver. It didn't argue. It didn't have an opinion. It didn't want to get into an intellectual jousting match with the master. The master would just pick it up and carry it wherever he wanted it. And that's where it gets interesting. Because I don't know about you, but we all know some people, none of them us, of course, who maybe like to argue with God when he calls us to do something. Does anyone know someone like that? No one. You're all that person. Oh, that's awkward. Um, we say, well, God, I've just got a couple questions. It's not that I don't want to go. I just need to know. And when I know about those things, then I will go. Like, for example, God, I see that you're sending me to the guy with five talents. Is he going to look after me? You've got to understand, God, I've had some bad scenarios at work. I've had four other talents around me, and they were Muppets. I don't want to go through that experience again. Is this five-talent guy right? I'm not saying I won't go. I just need to know. And when I know, I'll go. I can see you've assigned me to the guy with one talent, Lord. Now, is this a good thing? Is it that he's really going to look after me because I'm the only one that he's got? Or is he kind of a Muppet, and that's why you've only given him one talent? Am I going to end up with a Muppet? I really don't need that. My last three relationships were really bad, and I do not want a fourth bad one. So if you could just answer my question, and then I'll go. Does anyone know someone like that? Could be me. A friend of mine. We just want to know. And it's our society that's actually like that. I mean, these days, people won't dig a garden bed without Wikipedia, watching a YouTube video, talking to three other people, and then putting a post on Facebook. And people reply back. We're in a society where we need to know. I need to know. I need to know. I need to know. Now, if you're new to Christianity or you're new to church, let me give you some bad news. <laughs> God does not always like to answer your questions. I've said it. Give us a wave if you've been a Christian a while. You've been led by the Holy Spirit for a while. You've seen God do some great things. Now, you see all these hands raised? They're the mature people you want to be discipled by. If you were to go around and ask these people about how God led them, let me save you the trouble. I have done this research looking for a loophole. And this is what they'll say. God gave me a vague idea where I was going. Then he gave me the next step. Very seldomly, he might give me the step after that. And then that was it. And we don't like that, do we? Because we've got questions and we need answers and we need to do all of that kind of stuff. Except they did a psychological study, right? They wanted to figure out what the best way to lead people through difficult change was. And you know what they figured out? You can't actually give people all the information at once. Because even though people really, 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 really want to know, when you give them all the information at once, yes, it's all the good stuff, but it's all the challenges, it's all the problems, it's all the issues. And when they get it all at once, they feel emotionally overwhelmed and they say, I don't want to do that. Because we're not designed to carry all that information at the same time because we're not God. So you know what they figured out? They figured out the best way to lead people through change. Hello, leaders listening. The best way to lead people through change is to give them a vague idea of where they're going, tell them what the next step is, occasionally tell them what the second step is, and that's it. Which sounds a lot like God. 
which means if you're going to allow the master to repurpose you, you actually have to allow God to shift things and not answer all your questions. God is not answering all your questions, not because he doesn't love you, but because he does love you and he wants you to succeed. Hello, nudge the person next to you, make sure they're awake. It's not that God doesn't care about you, the talent. He cares tremendously about you, as you'll see when you get to the end of the story. But he cares so much, in fact, that he will not answer every one of your questions and he will not tell you everything you want to know. He will give you a vague idea of where you're going, the next step, and you're on your way. Shall we keep reading? Verse 16. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought the other five talents and said, Lord, you delivered me five talents and look, I've gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And he who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Pause. Number two, everyone say number two. Allow yourself to be multiplied. Allow yourself to be multiplied. So here you have a whole bunch of talents just sitting in the treasury, doing nothing in a grand scheme of things. And then God picks them up and he takes them and he gives them to somebody else that multiplies them. And that is how the kingdom of God works. It's a series of multiplications, which is pretty interesting if you think about it. Because imagine you're the talent and you're sitting there and you're like, God, why won't you use me? I've got skills, I've got abilities, I've got stuff I can do, and I just need an opportunity. If you'll just give me an opportunity, God, 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 please, 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 please. So finally God says, okay, and he grabs you and he hands you to somebody else who will prosper you through multiplication. And we think our dream is just about us. But the key to your success in your dream is not just you, it's the people around you. A million times zero is still zero. So what God does is he puts you with other people and he says, your success is now dependent upon one another. So you have to surround yourself with multipliers and not subtractors, or you'll never get to where you're supposed to be. And there's a couple angles. I could preach a whole sermon just on this. Let me give you the two angles just to warm you up. From a leadership perspective, this is what God is saying. As a leader, you have a goal, you have a vision, you have a dream, you have somewhere you want to go. But if you are truly a great leader in the kingdom of God, you will be as interested in multiplying the people around you as you are about achieving your own dream. That it's not enough for somebody to leave your care, leave your leadership, and go out the same they were before or worse. They have to have been multiplied because you cared about their destiny. That's why I rate Pastor Matt and Pastor Franca. That's why I tell people they're some of the best leaders in our nation. Because I can tell you from firsthand experience, yes, they want to grow this church, but they want to grow the people in this church. They are concerned about multiplying you. So as a leader... Are people better off in your team or somebody else's team at work? Are people better off in your family or somebody else's family? You need to be a multiplier 
And now let's go a layer deeper because it's a parable. Let's talk about you. It's the start of 2020. Why don't you make a list of everybody in your world, all the key relationships, and ask yourself, do they multiply what's on my life or do they subtract what's on my life? And if they subtract what's on your life, can I suggest you make an exit strategy? Oh, but Phil, you don't understand. We've been great friends for eight years. Well, guess what? They've been subtracting for eight years. New year, it's time to shift things. Ooh, shall we get a bit deeper? Shall I guarantee to lose a few friends? If you're on somebody else's list, what do you think they would say about you? Are you a multiplier or are you a subtractor? You want to be the kind of person where somebody else says, oh, you got to have her in your life. She's amazing. Your world will be better just because she's in it. She's good, that girl. She's really good. That's what you want people to say about her. You want people to say, oh, you got to hire that bloke. He's a gun. You put him in your business. Not only will he do his job well, he'll lift everybody else around you. He's the bloke you want talking in the lunchroom. That's what you want people to say about you. When they write your name on one of their lists at the start of 2020, you want them to write multiplier next to your name because that's how the kingdom of God works. We need to surround ourselves with multipliers and we need to be a multiplier. If you believe it, say amen. There's this verse, right, in the Bible. And most people have never heard it outside of a wedding. It's been read in just about every wedding I've ever been to ever. And it might surprise you to realize that it was not invented by a wedding person somewhere in some place. It was actually written by God in the Bible. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12, listen to this. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Who are you connected to? Who are you braided with? Who are you tied to? Somebody that multiplies you or somebody that subtracts you? Hello. If you're with me, give me a wave. All right. Some people are like, oh. <laughs> that hurt. Um, and don't email me about your mum later, okay? All right? Like, just use your brain about that. Verse 24. Then he who would receive one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there, you have what is yours. What a muppet, seriously. Can you imagine if, if, if you gave your retirement money to somebody else and they lived in a dodgy suburb? I won't say any names, but think of the dodgiest suburb in the area. They lived there and they buried it in a backyard. That's this dude. All right. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and on my coming I would receive back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents, for everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But to him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and be cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you're taking notes, number three, be faithful in the ground. Be faithful in the ground. Now, we tend to focus, I think, on the wrong thing about this parable. We get all up in arms about the one lazy servant. 
But think about it from the perspective of the talent who was stuck in the ground, who was buried, who was pushed aside. He goes or she goes from last place to first place like that, like that, like that. Because this is the thing you have to understand. The talent never loses out when it's under control of the master. The talent never loses out when it's under control of the master. Some of you come tonight just to hear those words. The talent never loses out where it's under control of the master. And maybe you feel like you got the hard end of things. You got stuck with the wicked and lazy servant. And you're thinking, well, it's hard, Phil. You don't understand how hard it is. I mean, all good for the girl that got five talents. That was great. She went there. That was wonderful. All good for that guy with two talents and all his friends. That's wonderful for them. But I got buried, Phil. And it's hard. And I've been stood on and I've been stood over and I've been passed over and people don't even know that I'm there. And I just want a little bit of something. I just want a little bit of success. You don't understand. I'm starting 2020 and my life doesn't look like hers. My life doesn't look like his. I'm buried in the ground. Well, I'm here to tell you that the talent never loses out when the master's in control. The talent went from the pit to the palace with a blink of an eye. God can take you from the ground, from the dirt to the palace in a blink of an eye. So you have to stay faithful in the ground. See, we think we've deluded ourselves into thinking that all the great lessons in life happen in the palace. They happen in the ground. The greatest promotion in this entire parable, the biggest rags to riches, the biggest shift of any of the talents in the entire story is the one that is in the ground. So you have to learn to be fruitful and faithful in the ground. Because you can go from the pit to the palace in a blink of an eyelid when the master's in charge. Yeah, but you don't understand what that guy's like. You don't understand what that girl's like. I didn't think it was going to end up like this when it started. It's tough. You just let God deal with the servant. You be faithful in the ground. Yeah, but you don't understand what it feels like. The master understands what it feels like. You let him deal with the servant. You just be faithful in the ground. You just be faithful in the ground because promotion is coming your way. Favor is coming in your way. A shovel is coming in your way and it will dig you up, dust you off and put you on the mountaintop. You will go from the valley to the mountaintop in a blink of an eye if you will be faithful in the ground. You have to be faithful in the ground because otherwise you'll stay there. There's a lot riding on this. You need to learn to be fruitful in the ground. You do not learn to handle the wealth and the success in the palace. You learn to handle it in the pit. And when you are promoted, you excel. Promotion is coming your way. Set yourself up this year for what God is going to do. Hallelujah. Make a shift for what God is going to do. Hallelujah. If you believe it, say amen. Ask yourself, God, what can I learn in this season? What can I shift in this season? I'll get the band up. What can I change in this season so that when I get promoted from the pit to the palace, it's a good news story and it's a success story because promotion is coming your way. You know, the interesting thing 
about this story, about this parable, is every single talent had a happily ever after moment. Everyone. Even the talents that got it added onto, like the five that went to 10, the two that went to four, it all ended well for them. We just have to trust the master because he is writing your story. This is your parable. He's telling you this is what will happen in your life if you will give him control and you will trust him. He's saying in the parable of Rod, it finishes well if he trusts God. In the parable of Dan, it finishes well if he will trust God. In the parable of Pastor Lincoln, it finishes well if he will trust God. You just have to trust that the master knows what he's doing because he is authoring the parable of your life. And there are times like any other parable where it's confusing. There are times when you're like, I don't know what's going on. But if you trust that the master is in control, it will finish well for you in your life. Because he is authoring the parable of your life. And he's giving you a teaser trailer for how it ends up. One way or another, you're going to the palace. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.